Welcome to FASD Family Life, the podcast for families by families, where we get real about raising children and youth with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And I'm your host, Robbie Seal, FASD educator, advocate, and a parent of five children, three of whom who have been diagnosed with FASD. I know the struggle is real, and so is success. It is my goal to help you deepen your understanding of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and just what it takes to reduce stress, build skills, and improve the quality of your family life. I'm glad you're here. Many of you have written to tell me that you feel alone, that you don't know anyone else who has the kind of challenging family life and stress that you do. Well, that's why I've invited some of the moms that I know to join me for Mom Talk, to share their experiences, their struggles, and their tips. I know you will see yourself in some of their stories. So please join me for a nice hot cup of coffee as we learn and grow together. Fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is the leading known cause of preventable developmental disability. According to Health Canada, FASD is a brain injury that can occur when an unborn baby is exposed to alcohol. It's a lifelong disorder with effects that include physical, mental, behavioral, and learning disabilities. FASD is a global health issue with rates of 5% in the US, Australia, and the UK. There are more individuals with FASD than autism, Down syndrome, and cerebral palsy combined. Yet the exact number of individuals with FASD is unknown because it is so difficult to diagnose and it often goes undetected. But I want you to know that you're not alone and that there is hope for you and your loved one with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. In this episode of Mom Talk, we hear from a grandmother who, like so many, is raising her grandchildren who are prenatally exposed to alcohol. This is a powerful, raw episode. I know you're going to enjoy it, but some of the content isn't suitable for younger children. My name is Betty Cornelius, and I started a program called Can Grants Canadian Grandparents Raising Grandchildren. That's now extended into kinship care. We have cousins. I think our youngest member is 20 years old looking after a sister. Our oldest member is 84 looking after a great-grandchild. So there's 75,000 of us in Canada raising grandchildren, kinship children. It's actually just grandchildren, according to Stats Canada. But we know that it's also kinship children and cousins and stuff. And most of these children are fetal alcohol exposed, drug exposed. So we're picking up the pieces. I call us the invisible minority. People expect us to do this while they're your grandchildren or... What did you do to mess up your adult child and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree thing? So we get both sides of it. We either deserve a crown or we don't deserve the grandkids at all because we've messed up our adult children. And I'm like, whoa, you know, my adult child made his decisions and he was not a young punk kid, but he was already a young addict and he was making bad choices. And I have three granddaughters from this son of mine from three different women, all fetal alcohol exposed because ducks don't fly with eagles. <laughs> and uh, every one of them that he brought home was worse than the one before. And I'm like, oh, lovely. And of course, he has to have a baby with each one of them. So in 93, when my second granddaughter was born and the mom tried the same thing, she went off with a boyfriend, told me, we don't need you in our life because my boyfriend has a mom. 
And I'm like, no, no, no. So I went to a lawyer again and still no grandparents' rights. So it's like, okay, how do we get this done? So six bills, four MPs, and 19 years, we got the bill passed in Ontario for grandparents' rights. Doesn't help me with my first granddaughter. And then four years ago, I found out about a third granddaughter. I knew about her through the grapevine, but I didn't actually, she found us and she found my granddaughter and she wanted a relationship with my granddaughter, but not with the woman that raised her, like Mm. not her grandmother, because she'd been gassed. Grandparent alienation syndrome. Like oh, people, I haven't heard of that. Okay, yes. Yeah, talk about parent alienation syndrome. Well, this is grandparent. So she was told, "I'm this terrible person. I took, I took, I, I stole his daughter. Mm-hmm. My had four poisonings thrown across the room and had been raped before I stepped in to get custody. And I spent twenty eight thousand dollars doing so. Would do it again in a minute, right? But this young girl, all she was told is what my son told her, and my son said. I stole his child. Well, you know, I couldn't have done that if he wasn't doing the things that he was doing. So exactly. over four years, she's starting to have a relationship with me now. And I see that, um, that she's also fetal alcohol. I haven't bridged the subject with her. Uh, you know, did your mom drink or do you think your mom drank? But she absolutely is labeled ADD and all the other ABC suit labels. And, you know, I haven't, I haven't been brave enough to raise that one with her. She does know that her half sister, Ashley is, is fetal alcohol or has fetal alcohol. She, we've had that conversation. Um, My biggest goal is to create awareness to the grandparents. We used to run a camp and now we just do a weekend camp in Ontario and they would come to camp and I would bring in guest speakers and I would bring in the fetal alcohol people, the attachment people, the, the uh, self-care people and start to teach the grandparents. And we used to say to the kids, you guys have to go out and have fun. Now your grandpa and grandma are going to school. (laughs) And they're like, are you the principal? And I'm like, no, I'm just the big boss. (laughs) But to teach them and educate them because, you know, my generation, we were told to have a drink. Yes. I remember being pregnant. I mean, my son is 51 years old. I was told have a drink. The baby was breached or relax the baby. So then when we start thinking, like, are, are our grandchildren fetal alcohol? And then we need to take another look at that and and back it up another generation and go, holy crap. Most of my grandparents are now at a point where they can say, yeah, I drank too. Mm. Because I'm doing this layering of education. But I know for myself, if the doctor would have asked me 10 years ago, did I drink when I was pregnant? I would have said no. Because I only drank when I didn't know I was pregnant. <laughs> when the doctor actually said to me, have a glass of wine or a beer, it will relax the baby. I thought, I'm not drinking when the baby in my tummy. But I didn't know I was pregnant those first three months, four months, right? So right. that's so common, isn't it? You know, and that, that's the thing. Like, we have, to, we have to be able to say these things, I think, to help break down the stigma. Yes. Of, Did so- you drink when you were pregnant? I think that's really important. Yeah. And, and to say like, you know, I, I wouldn't do it again if I, you know, if I had the opportunity to, to do a redo, but I don't have that. So what I have to do is, is just to try my very best to educate the people that I damaged, you know, to educate my son who I don't talk to. So that's very difficult. Last time I saw my son, my granddaughter, who's now 28 was five and he Mm -hmm. showed up a supervised visit, dirty, like stinking dirty. 
and jonesing and telling us he was sick. And I'm like, well, first of all, the court order says you have to be clean and sober. And why would you show up for a visit if you're sick? So, and then he asked a five-year-old daughter, my granddaughter, for some of her lunch. And she came over and said, can we buy daddy lunch? You know, daddy's hungry. And I'm like, no, we can take your dad for lunch. So we did. And he couldn't eat it. And I said to him, this is the last visit. This is your last visit until you're clean and sober. That's what my court order says. That's what I'm going to do. So I also do a lot of teaching of that. I call it crossing the enough bridge with the grandparents, with the kinship families. Because these adult children that are doing drugs or have mental health issues, they will bleed the grandparents to death, the kinship caregivers to death. Because we have mother's hearts. You know, that's my son. That's my firstborn son. And he's out there on the streets and I worry about him. And is he going to get stabbed? And is so you do and you do and you do, but you have to come to a point where you realize I'm enabling. Nothing I'm doing is working. Putting them into three apartment buildings, first and last month's rent, buying the, like, you know, it's just not working. So I see part of my job is, is just giving the grandparents the permission. And sometimes I actually say, I'm now giving you permission to block your adult child. And they're like, <laughs> but they do it, you know, and then they, there's more peace or there's more peace for the grandchildren. Cause on Sunday, one of the adult children with mental health and addiction issues broke into her ex-mother-in-law's house where the children are living. Grandma has custody and broke three windows, slashed the tires on the car before the police got there in eight minutes. There's restraining order, but still, you know, and now this grandparent is actually thinking of like moving pretty bloody drastic and one more upset for these kids. More than upset. It's trauma, isn't it? You know, like a person who's in addiction, isn't making good choices. They aren't making healthy choices. They're not making rational choices and like showing up to a visit intoxicated, right? Like that, yeah. a, a person who's intoxicated lacks any awareness of how their behavior is negatively impacting other people. And those negative interactions are more than just negative interactions. They are trauma. They're trauma for you as the parent, and they're traumatic for the child. And we know that children who have experienced prenatal alcohol or drug exposure, they're already, they've already suffered a trauma to their brain and to their body. And then when they have traumatic experiences on top of that, it's a cumulative negative effect. Yeah. Yeah. My son actually threatened to break, break into my house and burn it down. And his daughter was living there. Like he, he's carrying on at court like a fool. But we actually packed up and we moved. Like we moved two and a half hours away with our granddaughter. He's kept the same phone number. He can always reach us. But we had to set that boundary. And we were f- fearful because he had slashed our tires too. And, yeah. you know, these poor grandparents, they're, they're raising these kids on nothing. The system doesn't recognize us. I'm person of a significant interest for my little boy. And I get $700 plus a bunch of therapy and stuff paid for him. But when I took my granddaughter, I got nothing, you know, and again, the system expects us to do this, but we didn't plan on this. I didn't plan on braces and graduation dresses and, and hair and nails and all this stuff that they come with, right? Or they, that happens to be part of their right of being a child. No? And then the therapies that they need or advocating with schools or against schools to try to get the right supports. And here you've come along and, and maybe up until you've had a grandchild come into your family, maybe you don't even know about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Let's take a quick break. 
Hey, my name is Oscar, and I'm the host of the Potter Discussion Podcast. The Potter Discussion is the ultimate Harry Potter podcast, discussing everything from Harry Potter, Fantastic Beasts, and the entire Wizarding World fandom. This isn't your everyday Harry Potter podcast, because we have regular, in-depth discussions about obscure and fascinating topics. So if you enjoy in-depth character breakdowns, Harry Potter quizzes, and you are a Harry Potter super fan, this podcast is for you. Search for The Potter Discussion Podcast in your favorite podcast app, or click the link to learn more. I didn't. I didn't until actually a um, kindergarten teacher said to me, and my granddaughter had had four poisons. She'd been thrown across the room and she'd been molested. But this kindergarten teacher said to me, I think your granddaughter is fetal alcohol. And I went, no, she's perfect. She's smart. She's bright. She's this. She's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and that was like, she was three and a half, four years old. And I did take her to a doctor and he literally threw us out. He looked at my granddaughter and he said, she has none of those facial features. And now, like I said, she's 28. So we're talking 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And I came back and I was so embarrassed that I'd taken her and, and you know, put her through that. I told the teacher, no, the doctor said, you, you don't know what you're talking about. And she said to me, I, I watch her pretty closely. And I said, well, she's had all this other trauma. It was probably, I went to see Barry Stanley at a fetal alcohol conference or something I was at. And, and I listened to him and I went, check, check, check. This is my girl. This is my girl, right? So then I went and got um, Brenda State to um, do another evaluation. And, and she said, oh, yes, this kid has this. And I'm like, okay. So that was the start of my journey. And then bringing speakers into camp and learning myself. And I actually spoke at the AG conference in um, Sault Ste. Marie a few years ago. And I actually spoke about breaking the cycle. Because when I did my family history work, I found out like we have addictions in our family seven generations deep. And it it covers every addiction that you could think of. But then I'm like, okay, well, did my mom drink when she was pregnant? Because my mom didn't drink in her later years. So the years that I knew her as a mother, my grandparent for the first six years. So I didn't even know her the first six years. And yeah, she'd have a drink, but she never drank. Like she never got drunk. So I went back and talked to my grandma. And I said, grandma. Did mom ever drink when she was pregnant with me? Oh, God, your mom was falling down drunk the night before you were born and she took a beating. And I'm like, and I had done some um, rebirthing work with the therapist. And she literally had taken me out of the therapy session because I was bouncing around like this, just pre-birth. And then, oh, my, took a beating before I was born, right? So I was able to verify that. But then I wanted verification that my grandmother drank with my mom because my mom was the black sheep of the family, ADD, because that's what we labeled it back then. She couldn't admit that. But in my search, I found pictures of my grandmother with beer and cigarettes. And of course, the grandmother I knew was this devout Christian woman. So it was really hard to wrap my head around that. You know, that maybe my grandmother also drank with my mom. And I was able to go to her sister and talk to her sister who was in her late 70s, 80s. And, and she said, oh, God, yeah. She said, we had a still. We used to make the best booze in the world. We all drank. And I'm like, okay. So that really answers, you know. That answers just, a lot of questions, doesn't it? 
Yeah, because I was labeled ADD and I was like, you know, I knew I wasn't, I want to say the word stupid, but feel like all people are not stupid. They're no. brilliant. Mm-hmm. My little brilliant. My granddaughter is brilliant. One time I was teaching her three times seven and I did it with Smarties, right? Three rows of, of seven Smarties. And the next day she came home from school and she goes, why didn't you teach me seven times three? I'm like, <laughs> she couldn't put it together that it was the same thing. And, and we had to you know, do seven times three the next day. And she was so mad at me. And I'm like, it's the way their brain is. You can teach her something today and tomorrow she won't even know that you taught it to her. So the frustration and learning how to handle my own frustration in that and taking care of me while I'm taking care of her. Because often, especially with having my son out on the streets doing drugs, I would think, you're not going to end up like her. Him, right? And I would put my son's head on that little girl's shoulders. And then I would have to like catch myself. This is a five-year-old child. This is a seven-year-old child with issues. Take a breath, show her some grace. But teaching yourself how to show somebody grace, like I grew up with a rageaholic, so I'm just like, my it's like, I want to rage, you know? Get in your bedroom and smarten up and don't come out until you've got a brain in your head. <laughs> it's like, yeah, all those well, negative things, more negative messages, but that's what, that was the legacy you brought forward with you. And also I have such empathy too for grandparents who are raising their grandchildren or, you know, a sister who's raising her niece and nephew, you know, whatever, whatever the family dynamic is, there's anger and grief at that family member who is in addiction too. And maybe we're not supposed to be angry. Maybe we're supposed to understand it's a disease and we do and we're angry because addiction steals them from us and steals their lives and causes a lot of brokenness. And I'm speaking because I have, I, one of my children was in addiction 10 years. So I understand that. And how do you, like you said, move forward with grace and reconcile that anger and that grief you have over the choices your son is making? Yeah, oh, I hear it all the time. The grandparents say, does anybody resent their adult child? And it's like, we all stick up our hand. It, yeah. And then our other adult children are often jealous. So it adds another compound layer, right? Because we've raised five, five kids. One is a drug addict. One has got mental health issues. One is we're raising their ch- children, one or more children from. And the other adult children who are doing wonderful can't bring their child over to grandma's house because grandma's already exhausted, right? Grandma is maxed out to the limit, dealing with the the mental health and the drug issues, dealing with CAS, taking this child who's got special needs. I go to occupational therapy, speech therapy, and play therapy, attachment play therapy, three appointments a week. Then he's in extra activities. Like you're just running. I can't imagine having to take on other grandchildren for the weekend, right? So when you start to say no, they get jealous. Everybody says it takes a village. And I want to know where the village address is. Because (laughs) when I took Ashley, my life changed. And now at this age, taking JJ, like I'm just isolated and alone. Thank God I have my group. Thank God I have support systems. I belong to the local fetal alcohol group here in Saskatoon. I belong to the local adoption group. And then my Cangrans group. So when he's body slamming into the dryer, you know, these people get it. He's not an angry child. He's a child acting impulse on impulse control. But you can say, if I said that to somebody else, you're like, well, what the hell's wrong with him? You know, or 
He just needs a good spanking. That's the day I got to show him 10 times the grace, but it's not easy to do. And then a lot of our kinship family, especially the grandparents, they're, they almost, almost always, I would say three quarters of them are also overseeing an elderly parent. Sorry, I couldn't hear you. No, I shut that off for a second. It was my son who's homesick. Oh. And so he's acting on impulse. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 So go back to where you were at about like teaching other grandparents this, like this isn't like, it isn't that you need to, it's not tough love. It's not uh, more discipline. It's not, that's not what our kids need. What, what do you tell the grandparents? That they still, like, I always say that fetal alcohol children are like wild horses. They still need fences. They still need to learn boundaries and bases. So we can't teach a, ch- a fetal alcohol child consequences. I tend to disagree. I think it's a lot more work. We have to be consistent and it has to be quick and painful. <laughs> That's what I tell them. Make it quick and painful. They'll remember it then, right? So, you know, Johnny has called me stupid. What's something that Johnny really likes? That's gone. For, and not for two weeks. Some grandparents say, I'm going to take your electronics away for two weeks for that. Let's start with two hours or an hour, depending on the age or four minutes, five minutes. And then let's talk and come back and talk about it. Like, why, you know, why did you lose this? Well, I called you stupid. Yeah. Then, you know, I always tell my little guy that hurt my heart. I said, right now, my heart's this big. And now I just look at him and I'll just go like that. You know, I'll say, oh, you really did a nice job. You helped me with the groceries and you brought the groceries in and you saved me bending down and that. That saves my hip and my heart feels this big. He'll come and check in with me. Is your heart big or little? Depending on what kind of a day he's having. So he gets it. I believe all of our children want to please us, but it's harder for the fetal alcohol ones. But I think we can teach some consequences if we just do it in little tiny pieces. I agree with you. Uh, Not consequences in the traditional way, like not a spanking, not a sticker chart, not you're grounded for a week because our kids won't make that connection. But when you make that connection for them, like when you say, grandma, you're stupid, that hurts my heart. And to get his attention, that's why you're taking away something that's important to him. You know, so you take away his iPad for an hour or two hours or an or a day. Like it depends on, like you said, the age of the child. My son will say, but I'm good being good right now. And I would go like, well, too bad. I still have a sore heart. Like my heart still hurts. But really what I have to say is, yes, you are being good now. And that makes my heart feel good. And yes. then try again that grace period. But then when the swearing starts again, well, red light, <laughs> we need to stop. And then pull it back. And, you know, maybe part of that swearing or that calling names is really, I'm frustrated. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm angry. I'm lonely. Often the behaviors are symptoms of some other distress. Wouldn't you say? Oh, definitely. When my little guy comes home from school, he's ravishing and he's raging and ravishing. I call it R and R. Lucky me. He doesn't have time at lunchtime to eat his lunch and nobody's there to supervise it. Even though he has a full-time EA, she takes her break during lunchtime. So he's not supervised to eat his lunch. So he eats his strawberries or his fruit and he, he's just starving. He's, and he's a raging maniac. He comes in here kicking his boots off and carrying on. And the first thing we do is, come on, what, what haven't you ate at your lunch? By the time I get him fed, he's, he's settled down again because he's having a sugar load. You know, so we need to be able to read our kids, you know, or if they've just, you know, come home and he, he's had an hour. He had a scare in the bathroom last week and the, and he's wet himself every day for the last 10 days. 
but he had a scare in the in the bathroom and I'm trying to find out like what happened peel the layers back and find out what happens and so far that's all I know is I because I said well did the dryers come on because we don't like that noise you know did the toilet flush we don't like that noise were the lights too bright like we don't like what happened and it's it's carried on now I can't can't go from the hallway to the bathroom here at home now because he's so scared to go to the bathroom. So something really scared him. But I, so far, and I've asked the teacher, and so they've taken him now. He's going to the sick room bathroom. He will not go into the public bathroom at school. He'll wet himself. But you're right. Something's happened. And I love how you said it. We have to peel back the layers. And it's going to be on his timeline, not ours. Yeah. He'll eventually tell me what happened. I mean, I know that with him. I've got enough rapport with him that he will tell me. Or he'll, you know, give me an idea. But right now he really, like he says, I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. So. Yeah, these yeah. are just some of the things we we deal with sometimes. So, um, Betty, you, I know you raised a grandchild. You also have fostered children. Isn't that right? How many, yes. you've had how many foster placements over the years? Um, I've had 31 and he's number 32. And I plan on adopting him. I'm person of significant interest right now. And I was the wheels were moving for adoption, but I called the children's advocate office to complain about my social worker. And the lady there said to me, do not adopt him. She said, all the extra funding that you're getting, and I'm getting attachment therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy, music therapy, and dance therapy. All of that will go away, all that funding. And yes, I can get it again through Jordan's principal, but apparently that's like pulling teeth. So I just said, okay. I can be happy with being person of interest. And now that he's calling, he's calling me mom more and more. He started off calling me auntie because all the women at the group home were aunties. And it's part of their culture. All the men were uncles. But now I've, this last six months, I've become mom. And the worker said, well, you know, he has a mom. And I'm like, yeah, I told him he was born in Amy's tummy and he was born in my heart, you know, and he knows, I mean, I talk about her. The reason you're not with your mom is because she's doing things that aren't good for little boys and, and little boys can't live with her right now. And, you know, one day we maybe she'll get her crap together. Maybe she'll get it together. She won't. <laughs> she's had seven children from age 23 to one year old. So like, we can. Yeah. And so we can suppose that perhaps she has fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. We She certainly has trauma. She certainly has uh, a substance use disorder. So there's all yeah. the reasons to, to, to be able to see why she hasn't been able to, you know, keep herself safe or keep her kids safe. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but even yeah. when that is our kids experience, we still have to give honor and respect to that. That's your mom. And I'm yeah. your mom. Yeah. Then that's what I tell you. And even yeah. Ashley, and one time she came home from, from her girlfriend's house and she just slammed the door. And I, I come around the corner and I said, what's the matter with you? And she was about five, six years old. And she'd gone down to the neighbors. We lived out in the country. So there was no fear, more fear of her getting uh, ate by a bear than anything else happening to her. <laughs> and uh, she said, Amanda, Amanda has a grandma and her grandma came and she brought her a movie and she brought her a book and she brought her new clothes and she brought her candy and she's taking her out here tomorrow. And all I have is you. And I went, Oh, Oh, oh. Hard, not, hard not to take that personal. Right. But I was having such a good day. I looked at her and I stomped my foot too. And I said, you're right. Amanda's grandma gets to come and she gets to take her and get to do all this. She can feed her all the candy she wants. And she doesn't care if that kid gets sick because she can leave her with her mom. 
I said, and as she went back, she said, it's not fair. I said, you're right. It's not fair. Let's go make tea. So we made tea and we talked about it. And we came up with a grandma day. She told me, Amanda's grandma never says no to her, ever. I'm like, oh, okay. So in six weeks, I told her, here's the calendar. In six weeks, your grandmother's going to come and take you out. So six weeks from then, I put on this old granny scarf and I put on a shawl. And I rang the doorbell and I yelled, Ashley, your grandma's here. (laughs) And she's like, what? And then I ran to the other side of the door and rang the bell again and made her come and answer it. And I I pretended as, oh, I'm so glad to see you, sweetheart. I'm going to take you out. You know, on the way to town, 45-minute trip to town, I'm like, what would you like to have for breakfast, dear? Now she's testing me. Strawberry tarts. Well, grandmother doesn't let her have strawberry tarts because we don't do red food coloring. I'm like, oh, that sounds really good. What do you want to drink? Chocolate milk. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, very good. Oh, so we get to Timmy's and she wants two strawberry tarts and chocolate milk. And guess what? Grandmas don't say no. So we had that. Then we went two and a half hours to Peterborough to a movie. She picked the movie and we went shopping. She picked a t-shirt. We went to a park. We came home and I dropped her off and I said, I'm just going to go park the car over there. So then she came in the door. I ran around the patio door, got rid of my scarf, got rid of that and came in. And went, oh, I'm so glad you're home, honey. She's like, you're so weird. (laughs) But half an hour later, this child has a stomach ache. And I'm like, well, what did your grandma let you have? Grandma, you know what you I said, no, I wasn't there. I was at home. Mm. (laughs) I I played it to the max. So her grandmother let her have two strawberry tarts and chocolate milk and all the candy she wanted at the movie. I'm like, really? Well, here's some Pepto-Bismol. Here's a, a tum. Now it's bedtime. She got up in the morning. She puts on this t-shirt. She comes out. And I went, where did you get that? She goes, you bought it for me. I "I did not buy you that t-shirt. Right? Mm -hmm. Skulls and crosses. And we don't do skulls and crosses. I said, turn around and go back in the bedroom and find something that's appropriate to wear to school. And she's like, you bought it for me. I don't understand. I said, no, no, no. I didn't buy it for you. Your grandmother bought it for you. So we have done this every six weeks since. And you know what? She never asked her grandma for two strawberry tarts again or a skull and cheese shirt. Right? She learned the very, they can learn. Yes. Like, make it fun. Make it funny. You know, be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. In the lawn and laughter. Yeah. And that makes sense because when our kids are having fun and they're relaxed and they're laughing with you their brain is more available to them. Their ability to think and remember and put things in sequence are much more available. It's when they're stressed and they're anxious, that that thinking part of their brain isn't available. And that's why then they can't remember. And also there are working memory challenges. And we know memory is a challenge for people with FASD. So, but if we're patient and we understand that, we don't have to get frustrated. I love this. So you tell me more about Can Grands and that you've extended it to foster care. So this is a national organization. We are a national organization. We used to be very public, but um, we had um, we have a lot of grandparents in the middle of court custody battles. Okay. So taking it to a secret group. So you have to be invited. Like somebody would have to say to me, Linda has two grandchildren she's raising and I met her and I know she's a real person. And then I would say, you know, have Linda contact me. And I often still phone them and, and ask more questions, but that will get you in the door. 
And in 25 years of running the list, I think we've been secret the last maybe 15 or 10 years. We haven't had any issues. Um, it, on one of the lists in the state, somebody had vented. Grandmother had come on the list and vented and said, blah, 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 about my daughter-in-law and stuff. And that showed up in court papers two weeks later. So the daughter-in-law had found her way to this grandparent group where her ex-mother-in-law was venting. And all that showed up. And that that scared me. I want the list to be a place of safety. We only have a thousand members and I probably should, I mean, there's 75,000 of us raising, so I should have a lot more, but we've kept it really small. People come and go. They stay in contact with me, but they go off the list because they're working. They're tired, exhausted. And, you know, one more thing to have to deal with because the list does generate quite a few emails on a good day, but so they'll stay in touch with me. We're just starting to bring in guest speakers to the list. It's something we're just doing this month and next month to see how that goes over. And um, I found the need. We've had three of our grandparents' adult children get caught up in the sex trafficking rings. But these people, I took a workshop on it, and they're actually targeting our kids. They're targeting kids with fetal alcohol. They're targeting kids from low-income families, targeting kids from exhausted older grandparents raising them. So we're bringing in some guest speakers to talk about how to build resiliency in our children. And then another fellow, Gary Dunfield, used to do that nearly wed, nearly dead um, TV show. He's going to talk to us about how to fill that hole in the, and we call it the hole in the soul. And he was a camp speaker years ago. And he taught me about the hole in this, my granddaughter's soul. Because no matter what, like at the end of that day, that grandmother day in the bathtub, she's like, well, you didn't do this with me, right? I just spent 10 solid hours focusing on you, not saying no to anything. <laughs> and I, this to you, like that's that hole in the soul, you know? And it's like when they talk ever, you've never, ever done this for me. And that, that's, that's come from that place of trauma and that, that wanting. And our children want to be wanted by their biological parents, you know? Yes, they do. Yeah. I try to teach them and the grandparents that, yes, that's normal. You know, and one time I cried with my granddaughter Christmas Day. She had everything. I mean, we spoiled her rotten. I, and I say that to JJ, you smell like a candy cane. You're so spoiled, you know, <laughs> but um, it was Christmas and, and, and she was in her bedroom crying Christmas night. And I went in and I put her to bed and something I heard her. So I went in and I said, what's the matter? I didn't get what I wanted for Christmas. And I'm like, the Barbie doll house, this thing, this, this video you want. Like, what didn't you get? I wanted my daddy and my mommy here. I just cried with her. I just cried with her. I said, you know, your daddy is my grown-up son. And I wanted him at the Christmas table too. So just trying to hear them, trying to hear where they're at. Because, you know, I could have said, well, what the hell's wrong with you? Aren't I enough? You got all this, right? But you got to hear where their pain is. Yeah, it so has to be about them. Yeah, we we yeah. can have our time to vent, our time to cry with our adult friends or in this group. When the kids are grieving like that, like I wanted my mommy and daddy there. I think the most beautiful thing you could do was cry with her and say, yeah, yeah he's my son. I hurt. I hurt with you too. And just be there and make space for that. And I think that's really healing to acknowledge that pain. Yeah. And I, I find that a lot of the grandparents will overcompensate or undercompensate. So, you know, you know, and yeah, my granddaughter had four poisonings. She'd been molested. She'd been thrown across the room. Would have been really easy just to baby, 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 baby her. 
And then especially once I found out about the fetal alcohol, the baby bait, but it's like, no, aren't my job. I've stepped into the parent's shoes. So I have to take off the grandparent's shoes, right? I've stepped into these other shoes. My job is for me to parent her. So then she has to learn to do chores. And what she's making the bed one time and she said, um, so I live here because my dad can't look after me. And I said, yeah. She said, well, why didn't you teach him how to make a bed? <laughs> you know, the way they're thinking is like, really? Like, do you think that I didn't teach him? Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, it's my fault that your dad is doing this. So I, I found a really good book about um, it's Mama Bear, Baby Bear, and it talks about addiction. And it's a little too wordy. I met the author and I actually shared a room with the author. So I, I can say this and, and she knows I think this. It's too wordy for most kids. Mm-hmm. And But it talks about the bears. The baby bear has to live with grandma bear, mama bear, because the adult bears are eating the wrong berries. And it just opened that conversation up to talk about how do I talk to addiction with a five-year-old, six-year-old kid. So it was a really good book and it had beautiful, beautiful pictures. But it was, as I said, so I just kind of simplified the story. Like That's beautiful though, but you found a tool. You spoke with the author too. That's amazing. But what a beautiful tool to be able to use and to be able to talk about it, not about first person like you and I, but here's a book and let's look at mama bear and grandma bear and baby bear. And, and it opens the conversation and it makes it safe. And then yeah. you're not saying anything negative about that, that child's birth mother, birth father, you know, and I love that they're eating the wrong berries. Yeah. Could, that couldn't be more true. It's like perfect. Yeah. I, I really wish you would do another a book. She's quite famous. Um, and make you know it her more. Name? Do you remember her name? Oh yeah. Linda. And I'm going to spell S I L V A S. Okay. From the States and she's first nation. Beautiful, beautiful woman. Yeah. Wonderful. I'll put that link to that book in my show notes too. So that as parents are listening or grandparents are listening, they can check that out because I think that resource, that book would be amazing for a lot of, a lot of people. Yeah. And I can put the link to, um, to your contact information in the show notes too. So if there is a grandparent who wants to be a part or an auntie or somebody who wants to be a part of this group, they can contact you and you can do what you need to do to yeah. make sure that works. Um, so you said, uh, you have some guest speakers coming on. How do people access that? Is that through your Facebook group? Yes. Our Facebook group, I've, I've mentioned it and then given them the Zoom link and, and uh, we're going to we're going to try it this month and then we're going to try it again next month. And hopefully out of the thousand grandparents that are on the list, you know, maybe 50 will be able to show up. It is going to be recorded because um, right off the bat, I had like 20 grandparents go, but I work. I can't do it at night. And see, I find the fetal alcohol monthly meeting and the adoption monthly meeting is at seven o'clock, six thirty and seven o'clock on a Tuesday and a Thursday night. I find that hell. Yes. I'm trying to put my child to bed at that time. Yes. That's his time, right? I need to be just focused on him. And it can't be I've tried it and it just doesn't work. I'll pop in and say, Hello, I'm sorry I gotta go. This isn't working, you know, because if I miss the window, he's up till eleven o'clock. Yeah. If you miss the window. Exactly. We have to be so attuned to our kids, how their yeah. brains work, how their sleep patterns work. Yes. Yeah. Cause if I miss it, we're up to 11 and then he's usually up again in the middle of the night. It, that's the kind of night that will just doesn't take much to, to you know, he's a very routine and I'm very routine with him, mm-hmm. but so I wanted it in the daytime 
for me. I'm the one booking it. <laughs> and you know, it's not there's no one size fits all for the grandparents nor for the grandkids, right? There's no one size fits all, but we can accommodate. That's what we do for success. We accommodate. So you have it yeah. when it works for you, you record it, people can watch later. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So he's going to do that. And both speakers are going to do that. And then um, then I want to bring in somebody to talk to us about internet safety, because that's a big one. Uh, one of my grandparents, three, I guess, three of my grandparents in the last year, their 12 to 13 year old just packed up and moved home to mom, mm. moved home to their drug addict, acting out, still a parent. All three of these women have had a new baby that they've been allowed to keep. So if mom can keep that one, why can't she have me? And now... Two of the children are in huge trouble. And um, the third one is actually out in the street right now. Mom, grandma found five burner phones. She had six sweet da- sugar daddy accounts. This is a 15-year-old child. They're so yeah. vulnerable and they can't read the risks. And like you said, there's predators out there looking for just this perfect, sweet little opportunity. Our kids go down a bad path very, very, very quickly. They yeah. need, like you said, they're wild. They're like a wild horse, which is beautiful and needs to be corralled and needs fences to keep them safe so that they can be their beautiful self and reach their full potential. But they need guidelines. And a person who's in addiction is not able to provide those guidelines at all. So, yeah. well, amazing for the work you're doing. Uh, before we sign off for the day, what's the last message? What's the message you would say to all the grandparents, aunties, uncles who are out there doing the hard work? Well, you're in the trenches. You get the mom title. That's They always say, what does your child call you? And that's like, you're the mom. You're doing the mom job. If that child wants to call you mom, let that child call you mom. If they want to call you grandma, okay. But most of them have that need. And you're filling that need when you're allowing them to do that. And hang in there. (laughs) And hang in there. And get connected with this group because you can't do it alone. Exactly. I know that I'm raising five. I have five children, two are grown, but four are prenatally exposed to alcohol. I know I can't do this alone. I have to have friends in this journey with me to encourage me on the way. Yes. Yeah. You need somebody in the trench. Somebody's got to have your back. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks, Betty. You're very welcome. Thank you. As I conclude this episode, I want to again, thank Betty Cornelius for so bravely sharing her experiences with us. I'd applaud her for the work she does with Canada Grands to support other grandparents and family members who step into the gap to raise their grandchildren, their nieces or nephew, their family member, when the biological parents are unable to. If you are a grandparent raising your grandchildren, I invite you to connect with Betty Cornelius and Canada Grands to find support and a network of people who have common experiences from with whom you can relate and, and build friendships and share resources. If you're a parent, caregiver, raising children and youth with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, and you're looking for a place to connect, you're looking for a place to, to deepen your understanding of FASD, brain-based parenting, but also looking to build friendships of like-minded people, I invite you to join the FASD Family Life Community. Membership is only $10 a month. To be a part of our monthly live meetups using Microsoft Teams where we can see each other and speak to each other in real time. We have a great time when we get together, sharing our stories, our wins, and some of our losses, brainstorming, sharing resources, and and really laughing and growing together. It's really a lot of fun. If you're interested, 
please email me at fasdfamilylife at gmail.com and I'll send you the details. Thank you for spending your time with me. I know it's precious. And until next week, remember the struggle is real and so is success. I'll speak with you soon.